0: For the same reason that we just talked about that independence and incentive is that we need to feel those wins. We need to feel like, yes, we got a letter that said paid in full, like we are now going from dragging our heels on a budget to jumping into it with excitement because we now have tasted and experienced and know the feeling of an accomplishment of a win.
1: I'm Amy and I'm Abby.
2: Today we have Carly Hill from Debt Free Mom on. I have to tell you guys, before this interview, I was just a little bit resistant because when the idea of budgeting comes up, I think some people teach it in a way where their teaching is a little archaic. Like it doesn't make sense to me from an investment strategy perspective. You know, they really focus on paying down debt and they don't talk about investing. But Carly, I loved her approach. I love that she gave really actionable, achievable steps to help people on their financial path.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of numbers talk. So don't get overwhelmed with it because once you start to follow it, it really starts to make sense. It's simple, math. She She broke it down. And it just makes sense so much sense Like when you think about it you're like oh my gosh I need to bring this back to my partner right away so definitely an episode that you'll want to listen to with a partner you'll want to send on you might want to listen to a few parts twice as you get into different seasons of your debt-free journey or saving or even doing some of those incentives that she talks about actually spending the money that you've earned and celebrating every step of the way so let's get into this interview with Carly let's dive right in. You teach women how to use
2: budgets to gain more financial freedom and lower their stress. But so many of us have been conditioned to think that a budget is a negative or
0: a strict word. How would you explain what a budget is and why people should have one? Yes, sure. So budget is such a loaded word that carries so many heavy things. So I like to totally separate from the idea of a budget or money and think about a calendar. So when we have so much time on our hands, it's going to go somewhere, whether we decide where it's going to go or not. So we use tools like a calendar or a planner or a whiteboard or a list just to make sure that how we want to spend our time is actually going to be how we spend our time. And also to make sure that we're not double booked, that we're not trying to do so many things that our time is running out. The same is true with our money. Our money is going to go somewhere, whether we proactively decide what to do with it or not. So we use a tool like a budget to be in the driver's seat and plan ahead of time where our money is going to go so that it actually matches our priorities so that we don't have to look back at what already happened and think that was not how I wanted my money to go. We can use a tool like a budget to decide in advance where we want it to go. And then also to make sure our money's not over or double booked because we can double book our money too and run out of it just like we can run out of time. So although it might be loaded and have lots of history along with it, I like to just constantly bring it back to a pretty black and white thing like a calendar. We don't, you know, we don't have tons of emotions about writing an appointment down on a calendar. But then when we go to write something like our spending down on a budget, we just get so overwhelmed. So if we think of it like my money is going to go somewhere, whether I like it or not, I choose to be in the driver's seat. And so I'm going to make a budget.
1: I love that analogy because some numbers carry such worth and no pun intended there, but they they really carry so much where other numbers are like, nope, this is just another day of the year. Like a birthday, for instance, The birthday number in the month is just another birthday, but the age, some people have such a big deal with. So I like that analogy of just thinking as a calendar, no big deal. Let's figure this out and go forward. We also know that we have a lot of people in our community that they just haven't used any type of budget at all. They're brand Mm -hmm. new to this. They might feel out of control. They might feel really overwhelmed when it comes to starting a budget or just with money in general. So what would you tell the person who is just getting started? Like, How can they start to handle this part of their life just a little bit
0: better? Sure. I would say start with your next pay period. So whatever that means to you, lots of people get paid on different schedules, but actually in the United States, 95% of US businesses pay their employees more frequently than once a month. So we don't have to try to bite off the entire month all at one time or wait until the next month starts, which might be weeks and weeks away. So what I encourage people to do is to look at whatever is currently in their bank account and say, what do I need to cover between now and the next time I get paid, which is probably one to two weeks away for most people. And when we zoom in really small, anytime we're learning a new task, we always encourage other people to zoom. In really small. When we're talking to our kids about doing something new and you know they start to um, overemphasize like, well, then I have to do this and then I have to do this. And we say, no, 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 just look at what's in front of you. So what money do you currently have available to you and what needs to happen with it before you're going to get paid again? And that really small loop can then grow into, okay, I did it once. And now how can I look at the next part? Because it really is this puzzle that as we put the pieces together, one step in front of another, one pay period after another, it can build up into the larger things like investing and paying off an entire debt that feels so big that we're, like you said, afraid to start. But when we just say, what are the dollars I have available to me right now? And how can I most responsibly use them until I get paid again? We can start to feel to grow that confidence and that familiarity. So it's not something brand new anymore. We're not looking at something that we've never done before.
2: Carly, I am really enjoying this. I, that was an unexpected answer for me because I feel like when most people think like they think they're going to have to like go backwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure at some point you are going to have to address those things. But yeah. what you're saying is like start afresh mm-hmm. and create a new habit and just get rolling in the right direction. Yes. So I, I love that. I wanted to take a minute to talk about money mindset. Mm-hmm. I know from the way that I grew up. I am still working through some money mindsets that I developed. How do these money mindsets come into play with how women approach their finances? I would love
0: if you gave some examples. Sure. So for good or bad, money is... And intertwined with almost every part of our life. Like we like to think of, like, there's my money, and then there's my relationships, and then my career. But really, there's none of those that money doesn't touch. And so, because of that, in our past experiences, for good and bad, especially those negative experiences, they were probably also tied to a negative money experience. So it could have been poverty in childhood. It could have been divorce. It could be um, a career losing a job suddenly. Like those are all tied to this feeling of a lack of money. And so we tie these really strong emotions to our money and it can make it so hard to make changes or do anything different because every time we go to make a budget, that, that job change, uh, comes up and pops up. And so we start to just go back to those past behaviors because we're afraid of doing anything different. So what I see pop up a lot of times in those money mindsets are number one, things from their childhood. So things from their past that were out of their control, but that really cemented into their mind about the way money works and the way money is going to impact their life. Um, and so sometimes it it means that, that women will keep in step with what happened in their past. So if, for example, if their mom was um, a a hoarder or, you know, really adverse to spending at all. So if they asked for something that was $2, it was like, no, we can't afford that. And so they carry that same mindset into their adulthood, or we have these um opposite reactions where that's the way we grew up. So now that we have our own paycheck and we have our own in- income, we're like, I'm never going to tell myself no, and I'm never going to go back to how I felt as a child. And so both of those lead to some pretty extreme situations in our money um, where we either can't let go or we can't hold on to it. And so working through where those came from and how they're not actually pointing us towards the financial future that we want for ourselves or our family is really hard work. I mean, that is so much bigger than make a list of your bills or try to eat at home more. It's, it's so heavy, but doing that work is so worth the time because it is just like an investment in the stock market that pays dividends long after you've done the work. That money mindset, that work that we do now will pay de- dividends later long after we did the work. So I see that pop up all the time and it's, it's such a hard balance to strike because I mean, as I'm sure you guys know too, like taking a 15 second Instagram story and trying to help someone break down a big complicated thing in their childhood is like, how the heck am I supposed to do this? And often really people don't want that. They want the, the life hacks, right? They, they want you to tell them how to get diapers for 80% off, but they don't want you to tell them how to not walk into a store and load up the cart. So really helping people see both the connection between those two things and also that mindset change is absolutely possible and available to them is is the challenging work of what I do. But I absolutely love it because like I said, doing that challenging work once or twice at the beginning and then building on it over time Brings people rewards that they didn 't even think was you know they come into a budget thinking I just want to get out of debt, and then they realize I, I now feel feel more secure in my relationships in my career because i 'm not constantly afraid, and i didn 't even expect a budget to offer me that.
2: Mm. I just wanted to share personally, Abby and I grew up where money in some parts of our childhood was very scarce. Mm -hmm. It did two different things to us. When I started making my own money, I was spending it. And uh-huh. like, Abby wouldn't spend a dollar. Like, and and I like what you said there about how your money mindset can change because we've both worked through that and mm-hmm. on that, not to say it doesn't come up anymore, right. but we're much more in control and we don't have the same, like,
1: at least she'll buy some stuff. <laughs> something. <now. Yeah. laughs> But it is so interesting how growing up in the same type of household, we didn't grow up in the exact same household, but the same type of household can just have that different effect. I mean, it just naturally, I hate to waste money. Like that's the big yes. thing that wasting mm-hmm. money. And obviously nobody wants to waste money, but it gets to the point where it's a dollar fifty. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what if I could just wait a week and spend, you know, a dollar? It's going to be on sale for 99 cents next week. It's like, Abby, come on. Like, yeah. you, you're, but you, you can do this. You can work through Absolutely. this. But it's just the constant reminder and practice and working on yeah. it. Yeah.
0: And the realization that it's okay to have to have things where we have to actually like talk out loud to ourselves, almost as we have this like wise. Person inside of us and this in the moment person. And I think we feel like we have to just naturally be able to uh, walk into a store and be okay with not buying something or look at our paycheck and be okay with transferring it to savings. But I still at this point, you know, nine, 10 years down the road of consistently budgeting all the time, there are times where I literally talk out loud to myself about what I should be doing. Like you want to go through the drive through but you just bought a bunch of groceries. It's okay to drive home and make it, you know? And so I think like being willing to have that really explicit self-talk with ourselves where we're like, okay, I'm feeling something right now and I'm going to let it pass because I know that in the end, I would much prefer this choice over the one that I'm currently interested in. And so having those, you know, one of the things I do so often on Instagram is just just type out the the actual thought process that I had in a money decision that I made and, and help people to see that whether you're at the beginning or you've been doing it for a decade, we're always going to have to be reminding ourselves of those bigger principles that we want to come back to. And it's okay to almost feel like we're speaking, you know, the way we speak to our children, we have that inner child that just wants to respond in the moment without consequences. I don't want there to be, you know, any repercussions for how I spend. And then we have that other part of us that's like, let's slow down and think about it for a minute before we decide what to do. And I, I, prefer to actually do that out loud or write it down. And I encourage others to do the same because then we can start to differentiate how I feel in in a snap judgment moment versus how I actually want my money to pan out in the long term.
1: Mm, Now I'm curious, have you always been good with money? Have you had a good relationship with it? Or has your money mindset changed since you've been doing the work that you do?
0: So I have always been frugal bordering on cheap, which is different than having a good relationship with money. <laughs> same, same. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when you were talking about like, I mean, I I can think of times that, you know, I saw a difference in price of, like you said, you know, 75 cents a dollar. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to buy that at Walmart because, you know, across town at Aldi, it's $2 cheaper. Well, I spend $3 in gas going over to Aldi to get the cheaper price. So I definitely, um, I think Penny pincher would have described... Me for the good part of my twenties, and and really wanting to, you know, feeling like it was the wise thing to do with money was to never let it exit unless absolutely necessary. And so over time, my relationship with money has changed. Of Um, realizing that I don't want to, I don't want to get two decades down the road and have a giant savings and investment and look back on a bunch of moments that I missed or a bunch of things that I, that would have been a simple joy that I could have offered myself or my kids or my husband or my friends. And I, out of fear of not having enough, I held on to the dollars. Um, and so that has been a growth process for me that I have certainly not arrived at, but that has improved over time is, Uh, that balance of, I I have priorities that I want to work towards, but I'm not going to accomplish those at the expense of the things that are also in front of me now. And I, I think most people, um, I think those are really two things that we, like the two of you said, we either tend towards one extreme or the other that we're like all about the present moment and give me all the comforts and all the spending because, you know, the YOLO mindset of, well, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So I'm spending my whole paycheck today or the other extreme of like the preppers of, well, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, I need to keep all my dollars. So I definitely have tended towards that side. And, and you know, I I, and others, we kind of have to work ourselves towards that middle balance. I was
2: going to say, because you either see the people that are like YOLO, you can't take it with you, or you see the other side. And I think that there's this really huge middle ground that some people are missing. Like you certainly want to, if you can take some vacations before you're mm-hmm. retired, like that just makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely so how do you encourage women to find times to do both and why is it important i feel like in a lot of the important areas of our life
0: the answer is balance but it really can be so hard to find yeah so i i think it. It relates to there being a season for everything. So a lot of times when we're in the thick of something, we convince ourselves that that is always going to be the way it is. So if we're in a season where we are currently and chronically spending more than we make, that's not going to be a season where I or really anybody else would encourage you like, yeah, take a trip. Like who cares the impact it has on you? But in those moments to remind ourselves, Hey, you, you have a situation that we need to dig you out of and we're going to work towards either increasing your income or decreasing your expenses so that we can get you into a state where you're not heading towards a brick wall. But that's going to be a season that's going to be short. And we're going to focus on checking that box and getting you to the point where you do have a gap between your income and expenses. And when that season ends, as soon as it ends, you're going to take a trip. So kind of having these benchmarks in front of us. I know when we were paying off our debt um, from 20. 13 to 2016, we either did trips with family when, you know, when parents offered that all the kids could come and join together, or we did small day trips, but we didn't do anything giant that was on our own dollar. But the, the summer that we paid off all of our debt for the very first time, we rented our own condo on the beach and, you know, took our kids and we did our own thing. And having that season where we sat on that beach, knowing that that is that, Everything we had done in those past three years to focus on paying off that debt had led up to this thing that this reward that we had prepared for and saved for and waited for made that experience so much better than if we had just been like... Screw the debt, screw the budget, we're going. We would have enjoyed that maybe for a couple of days and come home, you know, feeling like we had a spending hangover. But because we waited, we, we doubly enjoyed it because we were like, we marked the box of being debt free for a season. And then now we're in, moving into a season of trips that are bigger than we've done before. So having that balance between recognizing that sometimes we're going to have a focused intensity on one specific goal. Other times we're going to kind of spread the money between a little bit of investing, a little bit of debt, a little bit of trips. Sometimes we're going to have a season where we eat mostly at home. Sometimes we're going to have a season where we eat mostly out Um, and being willing to recognize what does this current season require of me? And then leaning into that, knowing that whatever it is, it's not going to be forever. So, you know, I think a lot of times when people are on the cusp of setting up a budget or changing the way that they spend, they're afraid to walk towards that because they feel like that is a final thing. Like, once I move into being someone who eats at home or being someone who saves up. Cash for a trip, then that's gonna mean that all my fun is over and all my enjoyment is gone. And now I have to, you know, live the way that people do when they're, you know, pulling out cash envelopes at the grocery store or whatever. And so because we have those misconceptions and we're afraid to step into it, when really we would we would step more confidently if we were like, this is a season I'm gonna step into where if I put my head down on this one goal for six months, I can get there way faster than if I tried to do six. Different things at a time. And as soon as I get there, then I'm going to go back to whatever I, it was that I was enjoying, but in a new way that I enjoy and that is good for my money that positively impacts me.
2: What I'm hearing is that delayed gratification mm-hmm. can feel absolutely excellent, but we don't have to delay it until we're 70. Yes. And retired. Like fi- figure out what's going to work for you and your family.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, so when, when I talk to people who manage money together in a couple where two people are managing one set of books, one set of bank accounts, and, um, I encourage them that each person, each adult needs to have both independence and incentive. So in and some part of the budget, each adult needs a certain portion and the actual amount matters much less than the principle of it, that each person has a, a personal spending money of some kind that they are allowed to spend no questions asked without being like, how does this impact the rest of the budget? And are you okay with me buying this? So that's the independence piece. But then what you're speaking to is this incentive where each person's incentive is going to look completely different. So what I might be incentivized by might be more like Abby, where it's like, I'm just incentivized by watching my savings balance grow. Like that's enough for me. I don't need an external reward. I'm, I'm uh, energized by seeing that balance go up, but then somebody else might need an external incentive. Like when my savings gets to 5,000, I'm going to buy the pair of shoes that I previously told myself was too expensive i i want people to do those things because that really teaches us this kind of one one for one relationship of the the not-so-fun tasks that I'm doing in the day-to-day are exactly what is needed to get me the thing that I thought I couldn't have or that that felt out of reach to me. And so where that comes into play when two people are managing one budget is for the person that's primarily managing the budget to realize that the other person is going to be incentivized by a completely different thing than what that person is. So I might be incentivized by simply watching my balance grow over time and not need to hang a picture of Florida on the fridge with a little thermometer that we're coloring in. But my husband might need the visual and the reminder of why are we doing what we're doing. And so when we can realize that the other person's going to have that totally different incentive and ask them okay, you don't want to budget or you don't like the idea of a budget, but we both agree that having more in savings would make us feel more secure. So what what would be something that just felt so far out of reach that it would blow your mind that we actually bought it after we got to a ten thousand dollar emergency fund and then if they're like this you know set of tires on my jeep or this guitar or this weekend away whatever it is like write that on on a whiteboard print a picture out of it and and lean into their incentive because obviously the person that's building the budget and wanting to budget is probably pretty internally incentivized by a budget they just like the security and the comfort and the planning that a budget provides but if their partner is resisting then they probably need something external. So if we can start to speak their language with their incentive, then suddenly we're going to start to see them come alongside us as they realize that the thing we're working towards is not restriction and rules and a lack of fun, but it's the exact thing that they've been wishing for all along.
2: Wait, can I just speak to this one? Because You're speaking to my soul because budgets actually make me feel so like suppressed and my husband just like thrives in anything financially. And I'm like, I gotta see a reward for this. Mm -hmm. Like show it like we have something that I'm going to be able to get this year. Should we make the amount that we're going for? And it's like that. And a lot of times the people that are really good at budgets, like, often don't acknowledge that there's those of us that feel really restricted, suppressed, annoyed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important to, it's like coaching. You have to coach the player in front of you. You can't just think that your mindset, because the reason I took the, took the mic from Abby, it's like, cause she's good at budgeting. So like I want to speak to the people that are more like me and it's harder.
0: Yep. And it it's so, regardless of which side of that we fall on, it's hard for us to put ourselves in the other person's shoes. So for Amy, it's hard to even imagine being like, all right, it is Friday night. I'm going to grab a glass of wine and budget. But then for Abby, it's hard to imagine being like, I'm just going to blow the whole check. It doesn't matter. And so to get two people who, especially when you are managing one set of, Money, one set of bank accounts, it is um, just a breeding ground for fights and for arguments all the time because we have such a misaligning of incentive, of priorities, of perspective, the history we both bring to it from our own different um, childhoods. And so the, when we can kind of unlock that idea that you don't approach it the same way as me, but neither of us is approaching it the right or wrong way. So let's learn why you're incentivized and why I am and try to work both of those things into our budget. Then we can start to see us, instead of kind of facing each other and clashing, we're we're next to each other facing in the same direction. I
1: love how you said that answer, and I don't hear very very many budget experts speak on that part of it. There's a lot of let's get on the same page, but you took it a step further of let's get on the same page, knowing that we also have differences. That incentive yeah. piece of it is so different. So it's not just about having the exact same goal in the exact same way. It's right. about figuring out what works for each of us on the same path towards the same ish destination. So oh, so good right there. Let's take a break from our podcast sponsor, Rothy's. This year, refresh your wardrobe with Rothy's for chic, sustainable shoes that bring out your style and your A-game. Each style is knit to shape with their sustainable signature threads made from recycled materials, which makes them not only soft, but very flexible and also washable. Every time you put these shoes on, you'll feel like you're walking on a cloud and they're durable because you can use them season after season, year after year. I mean, I've had my first pair of Rothy's for over three years now and still love to wear them. It's been so fun seeing some of the new styles coming out between the flats, the loafers, the sneakers, and they come in dozens of colors and prints. Just know that we're not the only ones. Amy and I love Rothy's, but we're not the only ones who love this brand. There are over 41,000 five-star reviews and counting. And Rothy's original slip-on sneaker won the best slip-on sneaker from Self Magazine in 2022. So for stylish and comfortable shoes, shop Rothy's. And you can get $20 off your first purchase as a Herself listener by going to rothys.com slash herself. Again, that's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash herself for $20 off your first purchase. Now back to our show. And you do so much education for women on paying off debt. And you've mentioned paying off debt a few times here, that 2013 to 2016 stretch. Yeah. So share some examples. Is there an order you should do it in? Is there certain things you should pay off first? We want to know all your tips here.
0: Yeah. So I like to talk about heavy and light debt. There are debts that are heavy in our budget and in our financial picture, and there are debts that are light. And we need to figure out what those are for our own situation and then prioritize paying off the heavy ones. So when it comes to a heavy debt, it's a combination of a few things. Either because the balance itself is so large, the amount that we owe is so large, or the interest rate is so high that no matter how disciplined we are about paying it off, we're watching the balance basically grow because we're being charged so much. So this typically falls into credit cards or uh, like payday loans are even even higher than that. Anything over like ten percent, um, and then promo periods that end. So if we sign up for 0% interest for the first 12 months, um, if we don't realize that some of those cards are going to charge you interest for the entire promo period, unless you pay it off in full by the end of the promo period, we're slapped with this giant interest bill that we never expected, which makes that debt go from very light because it was 0% to very heavy. And then lastly, it's effect on our relationships. So a lot of people are like, oh, well, I owe my parents $10,000, but they're not charging me any interest. Interest. And it's like, well, how is that impacting your relationship between you and your parents? Do you like constantly knowing that you're owing them money? And if you don't, if that feels like a strain, if you're, you know, if one of your parents is kind of backhandedly bringing it up, like, hey, when are we going to get our money back? Like, that's a heavy debt, even if it has 0% interest. So all of those things make a debt something that we really need to prioritize getting out from under our plates. Um, and then I'll talk about light debts, and then I'll kind of talk about how to assess a, lo- a list of debts. So a light debt is something that is basically the opposite of all of those, a very low interest rate, a very low monthly payment, something that's not negatively impacting us over time, not negatively impacting our relationships, and might actually be bringing benefit to us. So the number one answer in the light category is a mortgage, Um, a a low interest rate that is providing us with a living space. It it is a moderate investment. Um, I wouldn't put it in the wonderful investment that's going to secure your retirement kind of category, Uh, but it's it's a far cry from a credit card for sure. Um, And then student loans are usually like 654%. Those are a lighter debt. Uh and then depending on the car payment, a car payment can fall into this category. However, car payments though they may have a low interest rate, they often have a very large monthly payment that can make it feel very heavy on our month to month finances when we're trying to get ahead and we have a car payment that's half the size of our mortgage payment that we're trying to take care of. So when we're thinking about our debts and assessing them, I like to use those terms of heavy and light so that people can not only incorporate the hard numbers of the interest rate and the payment, but also just the feel like I, I like to ask uh, when I, when I used to do zoom coaching calls, I would ask the clients after they would list out all their debts, I would say, is there just one that that is a burden to you where you're like, you look at this list and there's the one that bothers you. And it could be for a variety of reasons. Um, And they usually have one they're usually like, yes, I just wish, you know, this last 3000 on my car was gone. And we're like, great, we're going to prioritize that and get it out from under you for the same reason that we just talked about that independence and incentive is that we need to feel Feel those wins. We need to feel like, yes, we got a letter that said paid in full. Like we are now going from dragging our heels on a budget to jumping into it with excitement because we now have tasted and experienced and know the feeling of an accomplishment, of a win. So when we list, look at a list of debts, if somebody out there, it has a bunch of debts and they're like, how do I spread myself thin? Do I do an extra $5 on each of them? Do I focus on one at a time? First, I encourage you to list the debts from smallest balance to largest, uh, but don't just autopilot, go ahead and pay them off in that order. That's just the, the pecking order that I kind of like to start with them in. And then once they're in that order and we want to list the balance, the minimum payment And the interest rate, then we can look at those pieces of heavy and light. Is, is there anything in this list that even though it's a small balance owed, it makes it a heavy debt. So for example, if they only owe $400 to Lowe's, but the interest rate is 28%, that's a heavy, heavy debt. And we need to pay that off so that our, we're not being charged 28% interest on our hard earned paychecks. So as we balance those and start to assess the list, um, we can start to make you know, some, some decisions about if we want to tweak the order or not. Now, I will say this. Number one, uh, that's called the debt snowball, is to list them from smallest to largest. If you're overwhelmed by the idea of having to assess if a debt is heavy or light and what makes an interest rate high or low, decide to list them from smallest to largest and pay them off smallest to largest. We're talking about tweaking and refining how effective our debt payoff is here. We're not talking about right or wrong. If you just put your head down and you're like, I need simple and straightforward, list them from smallest to largest and just start paying them off one at a time. On the flip side, if somebody is really into the math and they're like, I only want to do what is most effective math-wise, That would be the debt avalanche, which is listing them from highest interest rate to lowest interest rate and paying them off in that order. So paying off anything that's a 0% interest rate last, paying off anything that has the really high interest rates first, that's called the debt avalanche. So it, it really is up to how motivated the person is, how much um, freed up cash they have to put towards the debts. And if they want to be you know, in that refining, like making the most perfect list of debt payoff possible versus I need simple and quick, and I just need somebody to tell me what to do. If they're in that place, list them off smallest to largest and pay them off one at a time.
2: Yes. My husband was like calculating all these numbers. He liked the avalanche approach to our student loans. I got really into paying off debt for a period of time. And here's how partners can also come into the equation is that my husband really prioritized also balancing investing. Mm -hmm. And I think it gets really tricky when you're talking about, okay, we need to save, we need to pay off debt, but also shouldn't we be investing? So I want to know, how do you feel? Do you think we should be doing all three of these all the time? Or are there certain situations in which we need to prioritize and maybe take one off the table?
0: Sure. So I think number one, if someone does not have a savings of any kind, that is number one, full stop. Like I I don't really care what the size of your debts are or anything else, because if we don't have cash on hand to cover the things that we can't expect, then no matter how hard we try to pay off our debts, we're going to find ourselves back in debt because we weren't prepared for whatever got us there in the first place. Uh, So I encourage people at very, very minimum to have one month of income saved up. So whatever they make in a month between their whole household, saving that up at very minimum as a starting point. Over time, we want to grow that into like more like three to six Uh, months of expenses, but we have to start there. So if someone doesn't have that, I I would say that 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 is a give my total focus kind of goal until we get to that point. And then as we go into debt, um you know asking ourselves what debts should we pay off and what should we what what should we be doing at the same time uh number 1 if at all possible never give up a match from an employer so if an if an employer is offering you a 4% match by investing in your 401k or whatever it might be that is part of your salary compensation and i don't want you to deny yourself that by working and getting less than what your employer is offering you because it's 100% you know if you're putting in $20. They're giving you another $20. So if at all we can make the budget work, I I encourage people to not stop investing up to a match.
1: And now let's take a break from our podcast sponsor, BetterHelp. Today, we're talking about the topic of finances. This topic can feel heavy. It can feel tricky. It can get really complicated fast. Generally speaking, two people are coming into a relationship with different money mindsets, and that leads to complicated conversations and sometimes a lot of disagreements. And this is where having a better help therapist just to navigate these hard conversations can be so helpful. Whether it is finances, like we're talking about with Carly today, or something else, maybe it's intimacy, communication, maybe you have challenges as a parent, or you're looking for help in any other way. These hard conversations, you don't have to go through them alone. Just know that. A BetterHelp therapist can be there in your back pocket as an incredible tool to get you through with these really tricky times. As a Herself listener, you do get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com backslash herself. Again, that's 10% off at com backslash herself. They have helped over 2 million people around the world, and you could be next. Your mental health matters. It's a great time right now to get the help you need. Now, back to our show.
0: Now, beyond that, when we're looking at debt, So, very much related to what we just said with the heavy and light debt in the stock market, when we're investing, uh, best case scenario, best, best case scenario, we're going to earn like 10 to 12% interest over time in our investments in the long term. We're talking 10 to 20, 30 years. So, if we have debts that have an interest rate above 10%, and you heard me mention that earlier, if we have debts that have a 28% interest rate, and then we're going to pay the minimum on that while we try to invest. That's like running on a treadmill that's on a, the bed of a truck that is flooring it in reverse, where we feel like we're making forward momentum because we're like, yes, we're investing. And every month I'm putting you know, $100 into my Roth IRA, but we have a debt that is charging us 28% interest month after month after month our overall net worth is moving backwards while we feel like we're moving forwards. So we do really need to then, after saving up that initial emergency fund savings, whatever you want to call it, we do need to prioritize debts that have that those high interest rates where we're asking ourselves, okay, I have extra dollars this month. How can I make this dollar do the most good for my net worth? If I have a large interest rate debt the best thing that dollar can do is pay off that debt. So if we put that dollar in the stock market, it's going to earn at best 12%. If we put that extra dollar onto the debt and avoid 28%, avoiding an interest rate is the exact same thing as earning an interest rate. So if I spare myself a 28% interest rate, it's twice as good as earning a 14% interest rate. So that's a hard, I know that's a lot of numbers, especially on an audio podcast to try to be like, okay, there's just a cloud above my head of numbers swirling around. But I, I do think that visual of running on a treadmill that's flooring it in reverse on a truck is, is helpful to get the picture that I might feel like I'm moving forward. But if I zoom out, my overall financial picture is moving backwards. So we need to zoom in and focus on the debts that have interest rates that are very high. So mostly for most, most people, this is going to be credit cards. Once we pay those off, then I would spread myself between debt and investing. And I would say, okay, at this point, like a a lot of times people get to the point where the only thing they have left is student loans. I want them to lean into investing because at that point, the student loans nine times out of 10 are going to have a a much lower interest rate than what they're going to earn in the stock market. And also by that time, they're probably in their early to mid thirties, that's usually, you know, when we get about there sometimes into our forties and that's the time in our life where we're, we're not thinking about retirement, but financially we need to be thinking about retirement. And so I, I encourage people, hey, save up a small emergency fund at least one month pay off in inter- high interest debt that is going to bog your finances down. And then once you're left with a list of low interest debts that you might have for a while, like student loans, go ahead and start to spread out in your budget with your investing, um, You know, going above the match or opening a Roth IRA and starting to lean more towards retirement. Because now a dollar going to a 5% interest rate loan versus a dollar going into the stock market to earn 10% is now going to do better in the stock market. And that's where it can be worth double where you just have to
1: get over that mindset shift. And these are all steps, right? So starting off small, looking at the next few weeks here until that next paycheck. I mean, that's the very first step. And then going into that last answer, there's just so many good steps there. And we don't want to overwhelm you. We want to give you all the resources in one episode. So this is definitely a good one to listen to with your partner or anybody you're sharing finances with too.
0: Yeah. And I just like to remind people, I mean, as I'm you know throwing out like, do this, then this, then this. If I look at my own story, we are talking about nine years. So I, from the time that I was like, okay, here is the kind of budget that works for me, which is budgeting by pay period. We had always been paid every other Friday from that time of having, we had, I think a thousand dollars in savings and, and we had just finished paying off our debts, which in itself took, took several years from that time on. And then to get me to where I am today is seven to nine years of. Taking each pay period, one pay period at a time and trying to remember that the small daily things I'm doing are what make up my large overall progress. So, you know, saving that, saving our full emergency fund took us over a year. Saving up for our down payment took us two years. Getting to the point where we were investing above the match that my husband's employer offered took us over a year. So listening to a podcast like this, you know, that happens in an hour, I don't want people to run out and be like, okay, by the end of 2023, I need to go from nothing in savings and putting everything on a credit card to everything is paid off and I'm investing a thousand dollars a month. Like that's just not realistic and not setting ourselves up for success. And when we step into somebody else's story like my own and hear the end result, it can be easy to be like, well, she did it. I can do it, but we don't see the eight, nine years that, that it took to get there. And so it's okay to, like you said, take it one step at a time and say, this is the thing that I folk, I'm focusing on now. And I trust that by checking this box and moving to the next step, eventually I will get to the thing that I am thinking would not be possible for me I just need to go maybe a little bit longer than I expected but then the reward will probably be better than I expected Mm.
1: and wherever you are on that continuum like there's always things we can be doing a little bit differently or a little bit more to find more satisfaction to find more savings to get out of debt and that might include having more incentives or actually going on those incentives. Yes, And we love your account because you bring up that you do the vacations and you have four kids of your own. Yes, And we also know a lot of the parents listening, they would love to take their kids on a vacation, but they worry about the finances or the budget or just paying for the trip. So what are some of your really big tips that you have for making it happen, family vacation while also staying on a budget?
0: Sure. So my kids currently are one to seven and a half. So really little, but lots of them. Um, and I would say decide what's important. So there are going to be things that we can go all out on. And then in exchange for that, there's going to be other areas that we keep our spending low. So for example, we, I always like to prioritize the place that we're staying. Like I want to put most of the money that we have budgeted for a vacation into where we are staying, because then if we love where we're staying, we just kind of camp out there and we're like, you know, we have a pool or we have a balcony. Um, I'm, I'm a big beach vacationer. I would go every single vacation on a beach. And I think that would cause my husband to just, you know, be like, peace out, take the kids. And I'm going to go on my own trips. He likes variety. I would go to the exact same beach every time. But when, when we really lean into, okay, even if, we have a $3,000 vacation budget and 1800 of it is going to the place that we are staying. And that means that we now have a pool. We can walk to the beach. We have enough bedrooms for everybody. So we're sleeping well, which matters on a trip. Um, and then once we get there, then I'm going to grocery shop at Walmart and we're going to eat out a couple times and we're going to pick the one excursion that's the most important to us. Um, and And that kind of week, will feel like a vacation to everyone when we are looking at different scenery and we're feeling the sunshine and we're just experiencing the ocean through our kids' eyes or whatever it is. So reminding ourselves that we don't have to do all the things for it to feel like a a retreat, for it to feel like a break from what we have been doing before. Uh, Because when we lean into, again, deciding what's important, then we spend with our values in mind. And so again, the place is very important to me. And so that's where I spend. But if someone else is like, I want an excursion booked every day where I want to do you know, the wakeboarding and then the fishing trip and all of those things, if that's the priority for them, then they might be totally fine with staying in a hotel that's not right on the beach or that's not the biggest room or whatever. And so they're uh, their vacation budget is going to reflect their priorities. So I think before we try to just start booking and paying for things without putting a little bit of planning into it, first sitting down. And if you, again, if you have another adult that you're planning with doing this together and saying, what matters the most to us, what will bring us the most joy during this vacation that we haven't had in, you know, the last three years or whatever it might be. And then really leaning big into that thing and being willing to spend not even spend less in the other areas, but just spend as usual, you know, like my, my typical grocery budget is pretty much what I take with us on our trip. And we eat out, you know, a handful of times or whatever it is. And then as we do that, we'll go on those trips and realize I didn't need to do everything. And I didn't need to say yes to everything my kids asked for in order for them to feel like it was a magical week or that they loved it because our kids, especially younger kids, if if anybody listening is more in the younger kids camp, like I am, Um, they like, I could take them 20 minutes down the road to a hotel and they'll talk about it for the next five years. Like they don't need the giant, giant things to be like, wow, I just had an amazing weekend. And I, I can't wait to tell my friends about the hotel pool that I swam in. And so trying to see The trip through our kids' eyes and through what they are going to remember and what they're going to find important can help us to filter out what we don't actually need to spend a bunch of money on um, because it's not going to be what adds to the experience for any of us. So on a really practical level, we are road trippers, not flyers. Um, I think just we have, we've hit the, uh, max capacity for the price at which driving one minivan versus buying six airplane tickets is quite a large difference. Um, and so on road trips, I bring things like a peanut butter and jelly kit. So I take a Walmart bag and I put two loaves of bread in it and a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jelly and a butter knife from home. And none of that needs to be refrigerated. And when we make, you know, pit stops or somebody just, you know, we're driving and somebody says, I'm hungry and they're sick of the bags of goldfish and the, and the, um, granola bars, I can whip together a peanut butter jelly sandwich and hand it to somebody in the back that has gotten us through many a road trips where we're like, they're sick of happy meals and we're over drive throughs and all of those things. And I can just put together an apple doesn't need to be refrigerated. I can't tell you how many times my kids have sat on the side of the road, um, like in a Panera parking lot in Tennessee, and they're eating a, uh, lunch of peanut butter, jelly, veggie straws, and apples because none of that needs to be refrigerated. I can just have it on hand. And, you know, it's something that we're like, oh, well, that's what that's what somebody who doesn't have any money would do. You know, those are kind of the thoughts that pop into our heads, but the kids don't say boo. That's only us bringing that kind of approach into it. And then when we remember, no, I'm doing this so that we can now, you know, six hours later, pull into a condo that I didn't think I could ever afford and swim in a pool that has a view of the ocean. Like when we can connect those little things to the big things, then it starts to feel like I'm not depriving myself. I'm actually giving myself an opportunity to do something thing. So I, I pack food from home. Um, I, I cook a lot of foods when we're on vacation, but I keep it really simple, uh, things that I'm used to at home that I can make without a recipe and, and just, again, deciding what's, what's important. So if, if you decide that on your next trip, it's very important to you to not cook at all, great to work that into your vacation plan and there's going to be other things that may have to be cut because of that but that means you have achieved your priority of not cooking or whatever it is so again you know i'm just coming back to you over and over decide what the priorities are and decide what what you're willing to let go of and then you'll be amazed at what can happen
2: yes that made Perfect sense to me because, you know, my priority would be I'm always going to pick the plane instead of doing a road trip and that's fine. Like that's just two different ways to look at it. So I love that you always bring that into the conversation of like, hey, this is going to look different for all of us, but like the overall spend, the overall budget is what matters. Yes. So this has been completely jam-packed with great ideas, very tangible tips. I love the way you presented
0: everything. I want you to let everyone know where they can find more of you. Sure. So my website is debtfreemom.co.co. And if they go to debtfreemom.co slash workshop, they can go to a free crash course all about what a successful budget should look and feel like. So I hope that Comes through in this conversation that it, a budget is not just about the numbers we write down, but it's actually how it feels and looks and works into our realistic real life. And that can be just that first conversation of, okay, I want to learn more about what I should, you know, if I've been trying budgets and they have failed in the past, what should a successful budget actually look like? So that's debtfreemom.co/workshop, and then they can also find me on Instagram at debtfree.mom.
1: Thank you so much, Carly, and for those listening. We have a lot of information in this, so this might be a good one to re-listen back with your partner or re-listen back if you're getting into a different season of being debt-free or working on a different budget or taking that incentive, setting that incentive first of all and then actually taking it. So thank you for all your information today. And yes, go forward, try something new, guys. There's so much good stuff in this interview.